It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Hi, I'm Teresa. And I'm Amy. We are two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Amy, we're in 2022. I know. Anything fun and exciting from last week? Well, we went to the Van Gogh. Oh, yeah. That was early really, this week. Okay, that was really fun. It was, I loved it. And I kind of feel bad because I remember studying like that in college. I mm-hmm. took a whole bunch of art history classes and my brain, I didn't remember <laughs> any of it. I just remember the paintings, yeah. but I, I, I loved it. Yeah. It was really, it was good. I How liked long did it. did it take you guys to get About through? 45 minutes. Okay. It kind of, it plays, mm-hmm. you know, and so you just, we kind of sat for part of it on the floor but mm-hmm. it's, just, it's so immersive you yeah. know and the music is pretty intense I mean, matches matches it and so i actually i'm i got a little book that i'm going to read about him because okay. <laughs> i wanted to you know kind of yeah. read about him because yeah. his story was cool. pretty inspiring so very cool so one of the things about helping others is just finding how to use your skills in a creative way that meets a need. Right. And I know we're, you know, trying to figure out and brainstorm for 2022 yeah. ways that we can help others. Yeah, for sure. With my limited skill set. Mine too. <laughs> everyone can find a way to contribute and it doesn't have to be in ways that other people contribute because we're all unique. So right. Right. Fine. Take yeah. Darius Brown, for example. Darius was eight years old when his older sister taught him to sew a bow tie. His first bow tie was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle themed one, and he wore it proudly to school the next day. How adorable is that? His friends liked it so much that they wanted him to make them bow ties, too. In 2017, when he was 10, Darius read about the huge number of dogs and cats that were left homeless after Hurricane Irma smashed into Florida and Puerto Rico. Pet adoption shelters were overcrowded, and hundreds of pets needed to get adopted. Darius wanted to help, but he didn't know how he could do it from New Jersey. Then he heard that some of the pets were being transferred to a shelter in New York City. It occurred to him that he could help the strays put their best paw forward. Oh, my goodness. Is he going to make tough bow ties for them? That is adorable. He made 25 bow ties sized for the dogs and cats and sent them to the shelter. And It reminded me of that kiddo that we talked about that he read during COVID to dogs in the shelter to get them used to humans to make it easier for them to get adopted. But anyway, the shelter loved them. He said... Even something small like a tie can get an animal adopted because a bow tie is unique and helps bring out a pet's personality. Oh, my goodness. Just adorable. Yeah. Darius is now in the ninth grade, and he's been sewing bow ties for over four years. He's donated more than 600 bow ties for dogs and cats. The shelters have used the bow ties to help make certain animals that are harder to adopt stand out, like older Mm. pets. It helps get the pets noticed, and the shelter notes that the ties do seem to make animals get noticed and adopted more quickly. Oh, that's sweet. We'd never used bow ties before, and right away we saw a big difference, said Lori Caffrey, the executive director of Mount Pleasant Animal Shelter in New Jersey. Polka dot ties, striped ties, ties with dog paws and rhinestones. Aww. Every tie is different, and I like to sew them all, Darius said. Cute. Darius has a speech disorder and a fine motor skills disorder, and his sewing has helped his fine motor skills. Oh, yeah. 
the cutting of fabric and operating the sewing machine means that Darius has to focus on straight cuts and precision movements, which has helped him improve in those fine motor skills and improve his dexterity. Yeah. Yeah. Which is exactly why I couldn't do bow ties because I just don't have... My mom is really good about straight seams and all that. But while most of his bow ties are made for dogs, he's made some for cats as well. And shelters in eight states have received bow ties made by Darius, which I love. Oh, that is so cute. I saw how happy the people at the shelter were to get the bow ties and how much the dogs liked them. I decided (laughs) to make more. I came up with a goal to give bow ties to an animal shelter in every state. Oh, my goodness. That's adorable. Isn't it sweet? I love it. So Darius's apartment building does not allow pets, so Darius gets his pet fix hanging out at the shelter where he gets to help pets, you know, be adopted. Aww. He's also started an Instagram and a fundraising campaign to help purchase sewing materials. His Instagram is just adorable. It's Sir Darius Brown. You just have to go see it. Yeah. Fun. Darius would like to open his own shelter someday and expand his collection to include not only bow ties, but also sweaters and vests. Darius says, a well-dressed dog will make people smile. This young man is just so sweet, which I think Fritz needs a bow tie. I wonder if he's in Oregon. Similarly, um, Amarildo Silva Filo was inspired to meet a need for helping animals in shelters and find use for piles of used tires lying around his hometown in Brazil. Oh, wow. Which I saw after this story, I saw coming back from the beach. I saw two tires on the side of the road, and I was like, oh, I need to grab this. I didn't yeah. grab them. but I've guy, seen them on the road, too. I mean, I just saw some yeah. with a couch. Oh. <laughs> oh, you want a leather couch and some tires? <laughs> I mean, this is like in Taggart, right? We're on the corner. We could go pick it up now. So, Emeraldo takes used tires and converts them into stylish and comfortable Pet beds. Oh, wow. Like, they are so eclectic and cute. They're all unique. Interesting. Wow. You gotta check him out because they're, it it sounds weird, but they're really adorable. He collects tires from around his town and thoroughly cleans them. Then he cuts off the tops with a jigsaw, covers the hole in the bottom with plywood, and then he sews a cushion to make the bed all comfy for for the animal. Each bed is hand painted with bright colors and he uses custom stencils. I bet those are heavy, though. I'm sure they are, too. Because tires are so yeah. heavy, but that sounds darling. So he adds some flair to those, you know, with his stencils. And Emeraldo is both an animal lover and an environmentalist. So oh, obviously I love, I love this kid. Both. So the combination yeah. of helping shelter animals and upcycling old tires was a perfect way he could make a difference. So far, Emeraldo has made over 6,000 beds. Wow. That's 6,000 tires smokes. that are staying out of line, landfills or just you know, dumped into the environment. His beds have become popular enough that he sells custom beds to help finance his ability to provide the beds for shelters. Wow, that's awesome. So kind of the same way as Darius with the fabric. He's, you know, making money to pay for him to volunteer. The majority of his beds still go to the shelters. He said, the only way to do a great job is to love what you do. So mature, yes. These two guys just show that everybody can find their niche in helping others. Everybody has a skill that can be used to benefit others. It's just a matter of finding how your talents making something a little bit better in the world around you. So we we need to brainstorm yeah. with what we can do because it's not going to be bow ties for me, but yeah. there's something we can do to make the world be a better something. place. Yeah. Awesome. I have teased my mom for years about how strict she was when I was growing up. So many movies I haven't seen. 
We definitely didn't have MTV. <laughs> Cable was not allowed at our house, and mainstream music in general was frowned upon. I, I'm laughing. My mom, we'd go <laughs> see some of these things, and she'd be like, Covering her eyes, or we'd get up and leave. I mean, even in, even in college, I remember my first time being home and having Brian, and we went to see a movie. And my mom was like, "This is not appropriate." My dad, so you like, can relate. Yeah, so. she knows that I would not change a thing. I obviously don't care enough to see yeah, Flash Dance to sure. watch it in adulthood, and most of the TV shows I was dying to watch as a kid would totally bore me now. Right, right. For so sure. I appreciate that she sheltered me a tiny bit longer than most. Obviously, I didn't appreciate it at the time, and I was rather annoyed <laughs> that she would repeatedly turn my stereo to the Christian radio station. Aww. Now, she claimed that this didn't happen when I teased her about it, but I know it would go from Z100, because that's yeah. what I wanted to listen to, to KPDQ. Yeah. Aww. She said she didn't do that, but being the sleuth that I am, I think she'd change the station when she was cleaning my room. Oh, so she had something to listen to while right. she was, That's probably, you heard it, cleaning yeah. my room. So well, I, yeah. guess, you gotta, I, I guess that was the price I paid for my mom cleaning my room. Yeah. But reading Julie Rogers' book, Out Love, A Queer Christian Survival Story, I could so relate, not to the pain that she endured for her natural attraction to the same sex, but her conservative Christian upbringing. I have to say that I only appreciate my mom more after reading this book, and she was already up there, you know, yeah. to begin with. It just reminded me how lucky I am to have a mom who loves me unconditionally, prays for me, and genuinely supports me. Julie Rogers only got the prayer part from her mom. Uh-huh. And don't get me wrong, yeah. I, would, I would totally take prayer. For but sure, yeah. from her mom, I think it was, you know, kind of biased right. in how she prayed. But anyway, I first read about Julie Rogers in People magazine. Amy has her Today Show, and I have my People magazine. That's been my vice during COVID. Yeah. And I love People. I'm embarrassed to say because I don't know a lot of the people that are in it. Most of the celebrities I don't recognize at all, but it has some really good stories. It has some very inspiring people in there. Sometimes, like it had that, the cat that we talked about later on, it had her in there. And so, yeah, I have just some recipes. Yeah, I think it's fun. I've loved People magazine. So you have your, your, yeah. Today's show, I have people. (laughs) Julie Rogers was a survivor of the gay conversion therapy back in the 80s. And she had a documentary on Netflix called Pray Away. After reading the article, watching the documentary, I had to order the book. From the outside, she looks like a happy young woman. You know, back in the day, she had a smile on her face. It just looked so genuine. And it's hard to believe that she spent a decent portion of her life extremely unhappy with who God made her, often feeling guilty to the point of self-harm. I just I, so sad that whole sentence. I know. You know what I mean? It just uh Yeah. It it really is because she is a beautiful and I'm not just talking, you know, for me it's not so much appearance, it's heart. Right. And she just after reading this book, her heart is just so sweet and so kind and so loving. I appreciated her honesty. I admired her transparency and her willingness to share her story, mistakes and all, because she's like everybody. We've all yeah. made mistakes, but she's trying to right her wrongs. Aww. Julie's mom was deeply afraid of any secular influence on her children. She had two brothers. Julie's father had grown up in a fundamentalist Christian family with very stern parents. He left home at 17 to join the army. To escape their rules. Wow, yeah. So he didn't want the same environment for his children, 
but he also wasn't willing to address anything with his wife. Wow, that's interesting. I know. So it left Julie's mother in charge of pretty much everything. Because she was so fearful of the secular world, she homeschooled her kids. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I don't think there was a lot of schooling that actually took place. Julie actually called it no schooling. She said that she and her brother would watch Matlock every morning at 10.05, which at least that was, that was, something. That was a good choice. Yeah. Perry Mason and yeah. Matlock. But she would they'd watch Matlock every morning at 10.05 and then four episodes, four episodes of Saved by the Bell in the afternoon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Considering her father was a high school history teacher, it just surprises me that he allowed Julie to get so far behind with the standard schooling. But it sounds like he'd do anything just to avoid conflict with his wife. Right. When Julie finally went to public school, she was way behind and had a lot of catching up to do. Already, you know, a rough start for this poor young lady. Add to the mix that she was somewhat questioning if she was gay. She said she kind of had an idea when she was 10 years old, but by the time she had sleepover parties in middle school, she knew that she was attracted to girls. Her basketball coach and history teacher, Sarah Turner, gave her a book called Holy Homosexuals. I looked it up. It's just saying that people can be happy, healthy, holy, person of God, and be gay. Not because she was pushing any sort of agenda, but because Julia come to her with questions and confided in her. Hmm. So the teacher would let Julie come in, read safely out of her mother's view because her mother obviously wouldn't let her read a book called Holy Homosexuals. But um, she offered a safe environment for Julie. Well, it was this a Christian school? No. no, This was a public high school. And Sarah Turner, she wasn't out in the open, because this was back in the day, she obviously she couldn't be, but she would be fired if she was. But it was pretty much known that Sarah Turner was a lesbian. But people didn't really care. She was too adored for her sexuality to ruin her reputation. Oh, wow. So, no, she wasn't out technically, but, you know, they kind of assumed that she was. She saw the best in the kids from theater to football. Oh, so I, yeah. I just, I already admire this lady. And um, Julie talked about how she turned on her. I think she she said some things when she was, you know, fast forward, when she was part of Exodus that she later regretted because this woman actually did show her compassion and love. So I think she had regrets with this, but she didn't really go into that in the book. But I, Sarah Turner would probably be a really good person for us to look into in yeah. the future. But Julie decided to come out her junior year. And she broke the news to her mom on Valentine's oh. Day. Her mom wailed. And those are her words. Oh. She wailed in response. Her dad put a hand on her knee and said, Now you listen to me. Whatever happens, you remember your daddy loves you no matter what. Oh. Don't you love that? Oh, I love that. So yeah. at 16, Julie had two options. She can leave home or she can try to become straight. Right. Considering her lack of education, because she was no schooled, yeah. she really didn't have much of a choice at all. Wow, yeah. Her mother found an ex-gay ministry called Living Hope. And when I say ex-gay, they were people that they tried to convert okay. that were no longer gay in this ministry, Living Hope, run by Ricky Shillette, a man who had a whole theory about relationships with the same-sex parents causing, and I say that in air quotes, a child to have gay tendencies. Mm. 
It was through Ricky and Living Hope that Julie and her mother heard about Exodus International, a gay conversion therapy organization. Julie attended Exodus International the summer before her senior year, so in 2003, and described it as a church camp for gays. They weren't allowed to, like, share their last names. They were not allowed to discuss anything personal about themselves. Okay. But for her, she, Julie loved how Jesus paid attention to the children in the Bible, the kids, and how he treated the unwanted. Right. Which I loved that she pointed that out. She wasn't interested in the religion her mother had pushed on her, but she definitely desired her own personal relationship with God. She pretty much turned into the poster child for Exodus International. She became a surrogate child for Ricky, the the guy from Living Hope, and his wife, and shared her testimony time and time again. She was a new being and talked about turning away from sin and living a celibate life. If that was the cost, she was willing to pay it. Sadly, that wasn't the only price. Julie started running into former Living Hope and Exodus International members and started seeing the price so many of them were paying for ex-gay conversion therapy. She saw Kevin on the street corner one day. After he left, he was in a gay bar one night when a gentleman pulled out a pipe and asked if he wanted a hit. He felt so terrible about himself that he said, why not? He felt so terrible about himself because he had been treated the way he, you know, because he was, so he instantly was hooked. Another day she got a phone call from a former conversion participant pleading for her to come meet him because he was in a really low place and needed someone to talk to. Brandon was sure that people were after him. And when he was administered to the hospital, they said he was lucky to be alive. Oh, man. These people had drug issues. Right. And mainly because they felt so terrible about right. themselves. They, be, they were fighting with who they were. Yes. Be, but and not so much fighting with who they I mean, yes. Get, get living, getting to live who they are. They wanted to be part of the church, right. but the church was trying to change who they were. One girl resorted to cutting and at times questioned digging just a little deeper to try and end her life. Sadly, several of them had turned to drugs, and I think the story that struck with me the most was a young man named Casey. He had been a youth group leader at church. When they found out he was gay, he was kicked out. An older man invited him in, introduced him to meth. Oh, no. And when he was done, when so when the older man was done with a relationship, he kicked him out and told him, he was positive. He better go get tested. It just, it was heart-wrenching, and I can't help but imagine how different these lives would have been had they been loved and accepted right. for who they were. And included. Exactly. So now include- included. Just, we're not all the same, and right. we're all just trying to be better. We're all trying to find our way. Right. For Julie, she had dropped to 89 pounds and would binge and purge. She said she'd down an entire carton of ice cream, make herself sick, and then go for a five-mile run. She had all sorts of scars on her arm from burning. She'd take something heated up and then put it on her arm, and it would just sizzle the skin. It was clear to her that not only did the conversion therapy not make anyone less gay, but it, in fact, was quite harmful. Pushing these people away from the church sent them looking for love and acceptance in very unhealthy ways right. and extremely unsafe environments. And I just have to say, where's Jesus in that I know, equation? I know. Sorry. No, I just, just makes me, it's heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. These, these lives, these are lives. These aren't just right. stories. These are, each one of these are lives. But 
So one year after she joined Exodus International, she emailed to get out. Obviously, it caused another media sensation. But I was impressed, though, that Julie accepted her role in the situation. I mean, she she was part of it. And she took she accepted accountability. Journalist Lisa Ling brought together a roundtable of ex-gay conversion survivors and discussed topics through a conservative lens. Bottom line, all of these kids, and they were kids, were just trying to please others and do what they were told was the right thing. Right. When the conversion therapy didn't change their innate feelings, they felt worse. They felt guilty. They felt like misfits that would never fit in. They yeah. didn't understand because people were telling them that they should feel changed. And when they didn't actually feel changed, right. either you lie or it was a mess. The Jesus that Julie knew always moved to the people. Yeah. Others pushed away. He stood with and for the oppressed, very different from the re- religion her mother had practiced. To make matters worse, Julie had two conservative brothers who excelled in everything they did and were on the right path, according oh, to their mom. That's got to be hard. I know. Julie's dad had to hide his support from Julie's mom to keep the peace. Oh. One day, Julie was informed that her mother had suffered a heart attack and she raced to the hospital. Her mother would tell her that she was more disappointed and upset that Julie was gay than suffering the heart attack. Oh my gosh, that's a heavy, that's yeah. a heavy thing Let to that say sink to your in. child. I just, I can't imagine saying that to my kid. I so for years, Julie lived openly gay but celibate. She was the first openly gay person hired by an evangelical college. Wheaton College hired her as a chaplain of sorts, but with wow. a lot of strings attached. The college had a reputation to maintain, and Julie was expected to adhere to those standards. She one day reposted a blog post about something minor. I can't even remember what it was, was, but one time she found herself in some hot water. It was one thing after another at Wheaton, and she came to the realization that she still couldn't be herself there. She felt like she had been a pawn against her own people. She was the token gay person and not really allowed to have the ministry she dreamed of. Walking away meant she needed to find something to pay the bills. So she went back to the food industry, (laughs) food service industry. One of her jobs at the end of the night was to empty the garbages. The bags were full of discards. She said it was like melted ice cream, beer, milk, all sorts of liquids sinking to the bottom. There was a night that this bag was especially heavy. And as she was trying to hoist it up and over into the dumpster... In the struggle, the bag broke, and she was covered. I know. Uh, that's happened to me before, but I just am going, <laughs> no, and, you know, in the struggle. Empty those liquids, family. <laughs> no, <I> just, <laughs> she was covered in what she called trash juice. Aww. Trash juice. Trash juice. Oh, my gosh. With it running down her arms, she saw this as freedom. Right. I know my response would be quite different. I know. I'd be running for the van. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. But for Julie, it was better to have a job where she could be true to herself and those right. around her. So she even, embraced it. Wow, yeah, that's so even interesting. If, even if there were dis- disgusting aspects to mm-hmm. it, it was still better for her to be free be with real. the trash juice. Be real. Yes. Yeah. The more distance she had from Living Hope and Exodus International, the more she questioned if she had been part of a cult. 
She was about five months into her new extremely out, fully affirming lesbian behavior when she wasn't thinking about dating. She just was working on self, you know, being better, being a better human. One day she was at a brunch, at at brunch with a friend, and they were scrolling through social media, and the friend noticed a super attractive woman on Instagram. Her friend David had actually noticed Amanda while scrolling and passed his phone over. They both agreed that Amanda was striking. The next day, at Amanda... Height started following her on Twitter. Wow. I would say it was divine intervention. Yeah, but it's pretty amazing. Julie was nervous that she had accidentally liked, you know, a photo from right. like two years ago or something that made her feel like a cyber stalker. Aww. So I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I really don't know. Maybe there will be another book to say. Yeah. But Julie sent her a note, you know, when she sent her, when she was a follower saying, so glad to be connected. Let me know when you're in Chicago. I'd Aww. love to grab coffee and share stories. So Amanda responded within minutes, and that was that. Julie didn't tell her family about Amanda for a year. She was prepared for her mom's reaction. I mean, she knew what right, her mom would be say. Tough, yeah. yeah, but her grandma's response left me with such hope. Her ninety-four-year-old grandma was a tough Texan with German blood, oh. a lifelong Republican. Julie wasn't sure how her grandma would respond. Right. Oh. So one day, Julie and Amanda got a letter from Grandma Gives. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that, but she was excited to meet Amanda. She closed the letter with, God loves you, and so do I. So Amanda suggested they book a flight, and they headed to Texas for a visit with the grandma. And she was, the grandma was even more supportive and loving in person than in that letter. It was just so refreshing that this 94-year-old woman could look past their sexuality and see Amanda's heart and how she right. she loved people. She loved kids. She loved older people. And the, the important things in life, and the, the most important thing was how happy she made her granddaughter. Yeah. Aww. When it came time for the ladies to get married, Julie really wanted to get married in the Washington National Cathedral, the church where Martin Luther King Jr. gave his last sermon. Julie was worried about the expense, but Amanda wanted to make it happen. There was one snag when it came down to the wedding. They got a call that John McCain's memorial was to be held on the same day. And, of course, they were thinking, okay, they're going to just cancel our wedding. But they said, we're going to make it work. The memorial will be in the morning. I just, I I love love this whole thought that they're getting married in the same church. They had a memorial for John McCain. That's awesome. If if that's not a... A sign. Yeah. Yeah. They were elated when they said that they could still have a fabulous wedding after the memorial. Can you imagine being able to say that you were married in such an amazing spot? I I I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. had spoken there. Talk about multiple goosebumps. I know. I know. At her wedding, she had her high school substitute teacher, Mrs. Jarvis, her big brother, Jason, from Living Hope, a guy named Miles from San Francisco, her Oak Park family, which they had worked together, and and her Oklahoma cousins, who had been sent in her grandma's place. So her grandma sent them since she could travel. Best of all... Her dad was there. He had loaded up, you know, his car and he had driven out to see. She talks about walking down the aisle and looking at all the faces with them looking back as if, you know, they agreed, we made it. You saw me at a desperate time when neither of us could imagine this moment. And you moved with me through all the twists and turns until we made it to this place where I'm finally free. She said, every time I made the connection with someone, their eyes filled with tears and they nodded back. So much 
So much love. I know. I know. <laughs> more of this. More yeah. of this. I think another thing I love about the wedding is how she just beamed in her wedding dress. And that wasn't in the book, but it was in the documentary. Yeah. She was just radiant in this, you know, white sleeveless gown, which you, you know, yeah. it's it's not that out of the ordinary for a bride. But this woman has spent the majority of her adult life trying to hide the scars from years of self-harm and right. burning herself to cope with the pain. Yeah. For years, she saw the burns as a symbol of failure, but something had shifted. She was able to see those scars, and they told part of her story. Right. They were a season of her life, a time where she felt defeated and small. Now on her wedding day, before people and God, she felt confident and whole again. Those scars were a reminder that the world had tried to kill her, but by the grace of God, she had survived. Julie Rogers' story gives me hope for so many reasons, mainly because of her journey, finding herself, her truth, and living it. I so admire that she fully acknowledges the damage that Exodus International and the role she played in it did to people out there. She's apologized for her part in that and is trying to mend the hearts that they damaged. She's reached out to all of her family, not... You know, she hasn't seen her her mom or brothers since she married Amanda, which I think is <laughs> breaks my heart. Yeah. But I'm hoping that with time that will change. Right. She got a care package, she said in the book, with socks from her mom. Aww. And that gives her hope that someday yeah. she'll see her again. She also carries a card with her to give to Ricky, the leader at um, Living Hope, who was like a father to her at one time. Aww. She wants Ricky to know that God's family is so much bigger than he preached. Right. There are a lot of fences, obviously, to mend, but she's willing to do the work. And I just, I, I loved that in the book. Julie said she never had visions, but one night she felt like she had one saying, All these years I've been waiting for you to come to me as you are. Not the version of yourself you thought you were supposed to be, but the person beneath the religious facade. And now here you are. All pretense stripped away in the body I knit together with a soft and open heart. Home at last. I love that. Me too. Julie said she wasn't sure if it was a vision from God or just her imagination seeking comfort in the story she wanted. Either way, I just, I think it's a beautiful truth. And I so admire this young lady for telling her story. Courageous, for sure. Very courageous. And I, I just hope there are more people out there like Julie that will share and mend fences and and be the change. What we know with certainty is that every day we're faced with choices about how to live among our neighbors. Imagine how we'll remake the world if we all choose love. Julie Rogers. I heard about these two awesome nurses, Selena and Belinda, who live in Tampa, Florida. They founded a nonprofit that hosts birthday parties on their off time to children who would normally be celebrated. It reminded me of episode eight, where you talked about the birthday cake lady who oh. puts together the boxes with her daughter, that each box had the cake mix and all the yeah, necessary yeah, yeah. ingredients for the birthday that cake. That would be a good idea for us That'd to do. Fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in their spare time. In their spare time. So what I loved about this this story is these for these Florida nurses, it was one Christmas they were part of this angel tree um, project through their church, and a grandmother mentioned to them while de- while they were delivering these presents that next month she wasn't sure how they'd be able to celebrate her grandson's birthday. It struck a chord in these ladies, and they wanted to do something about it. Their mission is to ensure that every foster child and 
all children, regardless of their circumstance, has an opportunity to be celebrated on their birthday and receive a present. They rely on donations and volunteers. Their website has many ways to help out. They even have this sponsor classroom birthday bin, which I, I love this. They, um, they're given to, these bins are given to Title I and low-income elementary and primary schools. The birthday bin contains what, every, what a teacher would need like to celebrate the student's birthday. Cute thing, the teacher's also given like a birthday wall calendar with all the students' birthdays. And I know my kids, that was so huge. Like if one year, for whatever yeah. reason, their name wasn't on that birthday list. Or for the kids that have summer, summer birthdays. birthdays. See, my I kids always, are all summer birthdays, yeah, June and August. Yeah. So. so they had to celebrate their half, half at, birthday. Half birthday or at the end of the yeah. year. But another cool um, thing they have is, well, and in this, they also can um, have like cake mix, frosting, napkins, plates, all that fun stuff, age-appropriate books, and it's just really sweet. They customize it to the child's preference. They partner with foster homes and um, housing communities, too, and they do this monthly birthday party as well. So they'll do in a community like these mo- monthly birthdays to all a bunch that's of such kids. a great idea. We need to work. I, on this. I mean, I would love to volunteer if we mm-hmm. live close by to Florida. I mean, because you can volunteer to make cupcakes, make the treat bags, you could wrap presents, you could host a toy drive. It's just so awesome. Since their launch in 2019, they have celebrated over 1,500 children. Wow. And the past year, they delivered 100 birthday in a box each month. Mm-hmm. So 100 each month. And they're ce- they celebrate. Do these ladies sleep. I know they're nurses, and then they do- they celebrate birthdays. Um, this group reaches thirteen different foster and group homes across three counties in the state of Florida. Mm. But I just again, it's just I love these ladies' hearts, yes. and every child. I mean, every child should be celebrated absolutely. on their birthday. Absolutely, so, I love this. I was me too. I kept looking and I, hoping that there was a location here in Oregon yeah. or something. Yeah. But, or I just I, I would love something. to meet these ladies and yeah. like pick their brains with how we could do something here that's right. like that. How they got started. Yeah. So very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I love all the things that you teach me. But I really love learning more about you. So learning more about Amy for last year, what was the best part about Christmas? I think just like you said, spending time together. I mean, I love that we played games. We don't, I mean, we don't always do that all the time, but we did play a bunch of, we got some new games and we played, um, we got Quirkle, which is really fun. What? Quirkle, it's like a tile game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just fun. And puzzles. We did some puzzles. That's fun. I didn't think I liked puzzles. Well, and it's still super challenging, but we, well, yeah. I like the big piece puzzles because yeah. I actually we had some fun with those early in COVID, and then I got the small ones on. Like, oh. I don't like those so much. I bought the Rosie the Riveter that has a lot of yellow. We oh. haven't even busted into that, so fun. yeah, maybe. Do you set New Year's resolutions, and if so, what are they? I don't, but I am personally trying to work on just kind of setting setting boundaries and being mm-hmm. more aware. Like I think I've chatted with you. Mm-hmm. Like if I go do something, and then I spend an hour doing it, but then I complain about it for two hours. It's not I, worth doing. It's not worth doing, but I just want to be more authentic and re- and not just do stuff and then complain about it. If, if Don't do it then. <laughs> You're not don't a do complainer. It, but don't do it yeah. then. Then, yeah, is it feeding you? Is, yeah. Is it feeding you? Because then I'm not really, it's not good. Yeah. So, so that's kind of It's like a that. negative ripple effect. <laughs> <laughs> it's like. We need a podcast on that. Yeah. Negative ripple effects. Do you have a favorite running shoe? 
Well, okay, I've I'm, I've changed a hoka. I had the oh, Pegasus for a yes, I love those. Yeah, yeah. And me then too. I had a Brooks, but they were really tight. Mm-hmm. And then I went up to that Progress Ridge, and the guy I've never had my arch measured, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, you should try the the hoka." And I, I'm I, excited. Yeah, I felt, I'm I, my excited. feet, my feet feel good. <laughs> um, what is the single best thing that happened in 2021? You know, I have to say, um, getting Fritz. Oh, I wish we'd gotten a dog earlier in our kids' lives. I kept saying, I kept saying, dog, I, dog, dog. You know, I always kind. Of, I grew up with the dog, and I always wanted yeah. a dog. But it was, it took Ryan a little bit. So now he adores the dog. So it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not how it works. Though. It's funny, yeah. My husband does not like cats, but yet his favorite pet is Hayward the cat. Oh, isn't but, it funny? Yeah, how it works out. Don't. I know. But he doesn't like cats. <laughs> what was the one expected joy from last year besides Fritz? Besides Fritz. Um, I have to just say that um, just the time that we had. I mean, in a way, I look at that as a, the, uh, the insight is that we've had more time together. Yeah. And been able to see the things that are important. Yeah. This is getting to know Amy, so yeah. I will not butt in. But yes. Yeah, just getting, <laughs> getting to spend time with the kids because I feel like I'm at that point where it's the last. It's yeah. like Lucy's graduating. You know, I just am feeling I these. I got to enjoy these moments. So. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. A gem cannot be polished without friction, nor a person perfected without trials. Chinese proverb. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.